So today, uh, we are going to eventually get to 1 Corinthians 13, uh, but right now, uh, we'll start in Exodus 34. Um, we're going to, you know, just work our way through the Bible until we get there. <laughs> uh, no, I'll get you out on time. I half promise. I hope to. I expect to, but, you know. Um, that doesn't instill a lot of confidence. Uh, let me pray, and then we'll get started this morning. Dear Lord, thank you so much um, for your promises, for your word. Uh, thank you so much for your love and your faithfulness to your promises. I just uh, lift up each and every individual in this room today. Uh, I just pray that you would uh, work mightily in them and through them, uh, through the power of your word uh, and the power of your spirit. We pray these things in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. So, uh, Exodus 34 is this uh, incredible time in the Bible. It's uh, as Israel, God's chosen people, are getting commissioned. Uh, There's a hiccup, sort of. Um, In Exodus 19, they all come to the base of the mountain, uh, Mount Sinai. Moses goes up. He tells the people, I'll be back. And so he is up on the mountain with God for 40 days, and the people panic or lose interest. They get distracted, and they say to Aaron, make gods for us, because, I mean, it's been 40 days. Moses is probably dead, uh, so we need a new god because our old god has abandoned us after 40 days. So uh, they make these golden idols, and they begin to worship them. Moses comes down Uh, the mountain with the Ten Commandments, these stone tablets that are written on it, the law, and God shares, you know, the one who can keep these laws are to be given incredible blessing, but to break these laws, uh, there's incredible curse. And so as part of this uh, story that God's beginning here with his people, Moses realizes these tablets are no good for these people because 40 days after they've made a covenant to say, They will obey and do whatever the Lord says. They have broken all of them. Okay? So Moses, out of his anger and frustration, takes the tablets and throws them down on the ground, thinking that all hope for this people and the covenant with them is lost. And, um, yes, it is a terrible thing for that sin to be amongst them, but God calls Moses back up on the mountain. He says, no, you don't get it. I'm working the larger picture. It's not if these people could be faithful, but I'm, I'm, I'm setting the groundwork for someone, something to come. So this time Moses has got to make the tablets because uh, he destroyed the ones that God makes. So he goes and carves some stone, takes them up the mountain, and God writes on them the command. And in that period when Moses is up on the mountain, uh, we see in Exodus 34, verse 6 through 10. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. 
Here, God goes before Moses. He proclaims his name. And any time in uh, Old Testament scripture you see L-O-R-D, Lord, spelled in all capital letters, um, the original Hebrew word is not, the, their word for Lord is Adonai. If you see it written in lowercase letters, then that is uh, Lord. But when it's written in all caps, uh, it's the, the Lord's name, his proper name, Yahweh, the one who is so in, if you flip back to Exodus 3, or if you were to, um, you would see uh, God calling Moses to, uh, to get his people out of the land of Egypt. And Moses says, well, what should I say your name is? And uh, God says, I am who I am. Echa, Asha, or Echa. That's what the internet says. No, uh, so it's, <laughs> sorry, the pronunciation might be wrong there. But the, God says, I am who I am. I am who I am. But he can't say to Moses, go and say, I am who I am. He says, he says, go and tell them Yahweh, which is he is. It's an ancient way of saying he is. And that became, and, and so that is ju- not just the Lord's name, but it's a, about the Lord. In the past, he is. Right now, he is. In the future, he is. In the past, he is loving, faithful, and kind. Right now, he is loving, faithful, and kind. And in the future, he is loving, faithful, and kind. In the past, he is just. He will not acquit the guilty. Right now, he is just. He will not acquit the guilty. And in the future, he is just, and he will not acquit the guilty. So this brings this very strange contrast, right? So um, he says he's loving and faithful, merciful, which is willing to forget sin. But then a sentence later, God says, I will not let the guilty go unpunished. And Moses falls down before him and says, uh, in verse 8, And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. And he said, Behold, I am making a covenant. Before all the people I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation, and all the people among whom you are among whom you are, shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do. So God calls this shot from the beginning, right? He says, I know you don't quite get it, Moses, but I am doing an awesome work that will be through the people of Israel to demonstrate my loving kindness, my faithfulness, and my justice. And in our minds, we, we struggle to hold those things in tension, like how can he not acquit the wicked and show mercy? But that's part of this wonderful and great plan. So I wanted to show it to you in Exodus because um, God's love is not his backup plan. God's love is what he has towards you his saving power. So uh, the first blank you have there is from long ago, God promises love and justice. 
through an awesome work of his love. Promises forgiveness and justice through an awesome work of his love. So, as we've been studying David, we kind of get a sense of what the nation of Israel is right uh, is like. So, if you go from Exodus 34 and you march through Joshua, Judges, First uh, and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, Chronicles, the kingdom falls apart. But if you just look at David, for an instance, we, we've given God's given these incredible promises, and um, David comes on the scene. He's a giant slayer. He rises up. He's a people's man, humble in heart, has a heart after God. The Lord makes him king, and you think, could this be it? Could this be the Savior? Could this be the one that God was promising? Could he somehow demonstrate God's love and justice? And then he sins, right? With Bathsheba, and it's just like, ugh. You know, we had such hope. You know, the, the story of hope is building through the story. And then in that moment, you realize, no, he's got the same affliction that we all do. You know, he was pursuing after God, but his sinful nature was still there. And it's not till Matthew chapter 1 that we meet a man named Jesus. Or John 1 demonstrates that he wasn't, just started right there, but in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He has the same nature. He has been always. And so Jesus does incredible things. He demonstrates incredible mercy and love. He loves the people that no one else wants to love. He shows mercy on people that in their system, they're like, well, that seems unforgivable. He's patient with his disciples, even though they often don't understand. And he walks a perfect life according to the Old Testament commands. And so he truly does deserve blessing. He deserves the blessing that's promised to uh, anyone who can keep the commands of God. And so when he sits all of his disciples down at the Last Supper... he starts talking in a very strange way. Because although they know that he's perfect, they also know that God is doing something that they don't quite understand. So uh, John 13, uh, 14, and 15 are part of uh, the text, or part of the conversation between Jesus and his disciples on that uh, last supper night. So I'm going to just grab some scriptures some sections out of it. The first one being John 13, 31. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews... So now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now this is very interesting because Jesus is not uh, bringing an incredibly 
different concept. It probably sounded very close to what they'd heard before. Earlier in Jesus' teaching, he had said, um, if, if you could sum up all the Old Testament and all the prophets, the, the law and the prophets together, you could, you could sum it up into one command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second, which is just like the first one somehow, is to love one another or uh, to, to love your neighbor as yourself. So the first one is love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. And for generations and generations, they weren't able to do that perfectly. They tried, but self always was number one. They weren't able to follow the Lord with all of their heart, with all of their mind, with all their soul. Even David, a man who does in stretches love the Lord with everything he is, and stretches love himself more than he loves anyone. He puts his own needs before he, he does anyone else's. And it's not until Jesus comes is there one who loves God perfectly, and love his neighbor as much as he loves himself, even more so. So it must have been very strange for them to be sitting around and for him to say, okay, um, you know the Old Testament said just love them as much as you love yourself. Now I'm telling you to love them, to love one another as much as I have loved you. How great did Jesus love them? He hints at it here and the beginning of this passage that he's talking about being glorified, the idea of being enthroned, and they're thinking on a throne like as a king, but he knows that that enthronement, that glorification, that lifting up is going to be on a cross for them. He who deserves all blessing, glory, honor is going to receive ultimate humiliation and punishment, so that God could be both loving, merciful, and just, Jesus is willing to take the full punishment of our sin, so that God could be just, and he punishes the guilty because Jesus is made guilty, so that we might be made innocent. And then Jesus says, right before he does this, he says, yeah, just love one another like I love you. I mean, it's, isn't that impossible? Why is Jesus asking us to do this? But that's not the end of it. John 14, verses 12 through 17. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. Because I am going to the Father, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Okay. So, 
Jesus asks the seemingly impossible. He says, for, for years, people have failed even to love one another as much as they love themselves, and now he's saying, love one another as much as I have loved you with, with the love of God. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But then he says, I will give you a helper. Their ears must have perked up. Even the Spirit of God. So, it's impossible to do what Jesus is asking unless you're given the power of God, the Spirit of God to dwell in you and produce that sort of love. If you flip over to John 15, 1 through 7, he explains it more. He uses a little bit of imagery here. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So Jesus says, I'm giving you a new commandment. Okay, love one another with the same love, the same grace, the same mercy that I have loved you. And you think, I, I can't do that. I mean, if you're honest with yourself, you think, how? Right? And he says, I will empower you. This is the great promise from uh, Deuteronomy. Moses gives them the law right before they enter into the promised land. He says, do these things. If you do these things, you'll receive blessing. If you don't re do these things, you'll receive cursing. I know you're not going to do these things. I've been with you for 40 years in the wilderness. If it were possible, if only God could put his own spirit in you and turn your hard hearts, hearts of rock into hearts of flesh that they might obey his commands. Or Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, Jeremiah says that the Lord would put his spirit in his people, that he would change their nature. And because of the cross, this is your second blank, because of the cross, we are able to be both recipients and participants in the love of God. We are recipients and participants. We're, be, we're able to both receive the love of God, receive the Holy Spirit, and be participants with him in demonstrating the love of God outwardly. It's this incredible promise. It's this incredible hope. And yet sometimes we don't quite get it. For instance, the story of Corinth. Uh, they have been given the Holy Spirit. They had uh, Paul as a church planner. That must have been great, you know. Um, and they've had some fantastic teachers. And yet there are divisions. There's gross sin within the church. And uh, specifically, 
if you look at 1 Corinthians 12, there are people who are over here, they're saying they've been given a gift of the Holy Spirit to preach, but they're not using it for the glory of God, they're using it for the glory of self. So, uh, say a, a preacher would come over here and say, uh, this is the ancient Hebrew, and this is how it's actually pronounced Luke, and you need to uh, listen to me, look, 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 look here, uh, because look at how well I can teach the Bible. And over here, there might be someone saying, uh, well, I guess teaching the Bible is okay, but look, I've got supernatural ability to perform healings and, and miracles. Some speak a different ways. Some have the gift of, of prayer, and all these people have been given all of these incredible gifts, but none of them use them for the glory of God. All of them used for the glory of self. So Paul writes a letter, and he says, okay, I have spiritual gifts as well, but you're not using them properly. Uh, if you look at 1 Corinthians 12, the last verse, He says to them, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing." If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. He's saying, you can be an extremely well-spoken person who can fathom any mystery, have faith to do any miracle, Surrender up everything you have. And if you do not have love when you do it, you are nothing but a noisy nothing who profits nothing. He's saying love is not just important, it is vital. You can have every aspect of a good Christian walk, and if you do not have love through the Spirit... Now, it's hard for me to say that because there are moments in my walk when I'm not abiding in Christ. I'm not bearing fruit, right? And I'm trying to work and work and work, and then you come back to a passage like this, and it says it's all for nothing. If you're doing it for your own glory, if you're over here preaching for your own glory, or you're over here doing miracles of your own glory, even if you could do those things, if you're not doing it because of the love that's poured into us through the Holy Spirit, it's of no use, Okay? So he goes on and he defines love. He says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, this is not a list for you to look at and say, okay, I can be patient. I can be kind. I'll try not to envy. I'll try not to boast. 
okay? It's not a list of you to say, in my own power, I can be patient. In my own power, I can be kind. I can generate that, or I'll try my best not to be resentful. What he's saying is, this is a gift from the Spirit. Uh, Galatians 5, he says it another way. In Galatians 5, uh, 22... But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Uh, so, before the uh, service began, I asked for three volunteers, so if y'all want to come out and up here now. I've been shopping. Um, not at Student Life Camp. Well, yes, I have, but that's a different thing. Okay, um, so these gentlemen are three uh, fruit trees. Okay, so this is my orchard I'm working on, um, and each of them, yes, would you please, um, there you go, you're an apple tree. Here you go, I'm growing lots of fruit. Um, you're an apple tree. There you go. And oh, you're not bearing fruit yet. But that's okay. It's okay. Okay, we'll get there. I'm sorry. They, they've been very gracious enough to come up here and help me with this. So, um, here we're looking at this fruit. And look at Samuel's fruit. I mean, like, it's bright and red. And uh, it's bigger than Josh's. Um, it's so um, fake. Let me see. I actually bought this at Marshall's, um, or not Marshall's, uh, Michael's. They're both in Colonial Heights. Uh, you can go to both. Uh, so I bought this at Michael's. It's not a fruit store. It's a craft supply and store. And so this is actually styrofoam. But you couldn't tell that at a distance, right? Right. So Samuel here realized that, not really, but Samuel here is living in church, and he realizes he comes across 1 Corinthians 13, and he says, oh, wow, I'm not very patient, I'm not very kind, I'm very easily angered, um, well, I guess I should try to be patient, and then that, you know, he has some success, he's like, okay, it'd just be easier if I tried to look patient, if I tried to look kind, so when I know if the right type of people are watching, I'll be patient and kind, but then when I step out into the world, you know, who can generate that sort of love all the time? So I'm just going to put all of my effort into looking like a good fruit tree, and um, there we go. The problem is that has nothing that we desire from an apple. I mean, how it looks, yes, but it's got no fruit in it. Like, it's not good if I'm hungry and I come to Samuel and I want an apple and I, I take a bite out of it. Is that going to give me any nourishment? No. If I want to start a, an apple orchard, does it have the seed to plant a tree? No. And how often do, do people come up to us and we're trying to fake the Holy Spirit being in us so bad and they take a bite out of us and they're like, styrofoam, styrofoam, I've got styrofoam at my house. I don't want what you guys are peddling at church if all I'm going to get is styrofoam. 
But here we have Josh. Josh has got real fruit. The danger of this is he can look over at Samuel and say, well, my fruit doesn't look as real or as good, you know? A, a real fruit might be worn on one side or it might have some marks from insects or being gathered. And so he might think, man, I, if only I had Samuel's bright red apple. And, and we begun to do like this backwards things where, you know, while we're walking in the Spirit, we covet other people's perceived walk with the Spirit. But the, the Spirit of God is doing a work in us with real fruit and real seeds. Okay? We should be content with what God is doing if we are walking with Him. Okay? And down at the end, I've got Gavin, who's not bearing fruit yet. But at least he's honest about it. Okay? And the wonderful truth of all of this is none of us are fruit trees in and of ourselves. It's the work of God. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in us and through us. As we abide in Christ and he in us, we will bear fruit. So I can go to Gavin and I can say, Gavin, abide in Christ and you will bear much fruit. But then if I go to Samuel and say, abide in Christ and you will bear much fruit, he's like, uh, real fruit? I got real fruit. I don't, I don't need your fruit. I've got my fruit. You know? So thank you very much. That's, uh, so that's just my illustration on fruit. So thank you for coming up. So 1 Corinthians 13 is not a list for you to try to generate on your own. If you read it in context, it's sandwiched between two chapters about spiritual giftedness and it's two chapters before 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul says, I really want you to focus on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who in the power of the Holy Spirit was risen from the dead. Think about that. The very Spirit that dwells within us was powerful enough to raise a man from the dead who was crucified, but worse than that, was crushed under the weight of all of our sin. The Spirit of Lord was powerful enough to raise him up. It's incredible. And that Spirit is in us. This is the hope of the Old Testament, that we would walk with the Spirit. So, if we flick back... Well, let's go to uh, Romans 8. What I want you to know, and this is your last blank, the love of God does not merely clean up, but gives new life with a new nature. So often we come to church and like a dirty chalkboard, we say, if I could just get everything cleaned off, then I feel like I could keep it clean from here on out. But that's, not a, that's what I thought the message of the Bible was for a long time. But it, that's not the message of the Bible. When you read it, he's saying, I want to actually change your nature. I want you to change who you are. I want you to be a new creation. Not a cleaner version of the old nature, but a totally different thing. I want to change you from a tree that does not bear fruit, not an apple tree, to change you to a tree that does bear fruit. That's a change of nature speaking. 
Jesus isn't walking around taping fake fruit to people, but he's changing, he's filling up from the inside an overflow of the Holy Spirit that he promises will produce fruit. In Romans 8, chapter, or in Romans chapter 8, verses 13, he says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. There's no middle ground there. It's a binary choice. It's one or the other. If you live to the flesh, if I do what I want to do, if I bring glory to me, even if I uh, use what natural gifts I have to bring, bring glory to me, all glory to this body, then Romans 8 says, I will die. That doesn't really come as a surprise to anyone. We die. It's what sin brings about. But if in the Spirit, and it's, he, he doesn't say, and then just try to live. He says, in the Spirit. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. I mean, that's what we're celebrating, right? When Gavin got baptized, you know, we, we put him into the water, pull him back out, and the idea of that is you're, you're dying to your flesh. You're dying to the desires of me as number one. In the power of the Spirit, you're saying, okay, I'm done with those things. As Peter explained it in Acts 2 at Pentecost, um, they come out, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They come out speaking in incredible ways and tongues, and, and uh, the people come up to them. Some of them are like, are you drunk? And the rest of them come up and say, uh, how do we know God like you know God? Like, we, we desire to know God like you know God. They tasted the fruit of their walk, the fruit of the Spirit, the love that they had for these people, and they desired a walk with Christ. Because that's what fruit is about, right? The, the taste and then inside the fruit is the power to make more fruit. As people taste the Gospels, as people taste the Gospel in our life, the outflow of the Spirit through our life, they'll want to get at the core, and they'll say, all right, can I plant that in my life? Is there a way to get the, the, the power of God, the, the Spirit of God in my life because I see that's what I need? I want to be Loving, I want to be kind and gracious and, and good and gentle, faithful. And if we are bearing true fruit, like uh, Peter did, he just says, okay, it's really simple. You repent, which means you're going one way, you stop and you turn and you go the other way. You, any, anyone going away from God stops, turns and goes to God. You be baptized you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's it. So think about this, okay? Uh, all you've got to do is, in some parts, I think, well, that's incredibly easy. In some parts, I think, well, that's incredibly difficult. Because all you have to do to receive salvation in the Lord is believe. 
That's it. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to generate good works and keep my uh, chalkboard clean. He gives me everything. Second Peter 1 talks about how he gives us everything for life in godliness. That's an incredible truth. So repent, be baptized, which is the signal of this symbol of dying to self. Because you can't come alive in the spirit and stay alive to self. Maybe at first you can try to hold on to both of them, but the Lord doesn't let you hold on to both of them. You can't serve two masters. You will eventually choose one or the other. You will either choose your, de- your desires, you'll trust your uh, decisions, you'll trust your insight on the world, your own understanding, or you will trust what the Lord says about the world, life and freedom and love in his word. And you can't hold those two things together. You'll have to choose one. So I don't know where this word finds you this morning. Uh, uh, So many of you have been so loving uh, to us. You really have been a fantastic church family. uh, And I'm reminded of that just in these last few weeks as uh, Danielle's been trying to get rest with the baby uh, that's on the way. And so many of you have signed up to, like, bring food. And, and so I know so many of you are, are filled with the Holy Spirit. You're bearing fruit of love and uh, faithfulness. And I'm so grateful to attend a church where that's true. I, I, I truly am. Um, but maybe this is a time where you just, maybe there's a, a need for some pruning, like uh, John 14, or maybe it's a time where you just celebrate, where you're just reminded again that, yes, the Holy Spirit is in me, and I'm bearing fruit. This is miraculous and incredible. Or maybe you were like the first tree here. You've got everybody fooled. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Where the fruit on your limbs is styrofoam and you keep everyone at a distance because you know if you really are bound up in intimate church community, someone's going to realize it's fake. And Romans 8 says, if you continue in that, death. But even now, even now, you can put those things to death in the spirit. Or maybe you were like the third tree down there where you're like, I, I'm very new to all this. I'm just trying out church. I, I've heard some good things, maybe even some bad things. What's this all about? I, I'd like to have that sort of fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, you know, all that self-control and everything. Maybe, maybe you'd want those things, but you're like, how do I do them? Because every time I've tried to be patient in the past, I've blown up. Every time I've been trying to be kind in the past, I've come across someone who just brings the unkindness right out. But if the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you with the power that raised Jesus up from the dead and we can keep in step with him, 
then what amount of worldly unkindness is going to make that spirit unkind? Right? What amount of unlovingness is going to make you return reviling for reviling, right? They were crucifying Jesus to the cross, although he created them, and Colossians 1 says that he was giving them their every breath, and he had spoken lovingly and kindly to them, truly showing the word, and they crucify him. And he responds by praying to the Father on their behalf, Lord, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. The same spirit that was in Jesus is given to us as a gift in our salvation. So, I'll conclude with that. What do you do with that? Do you rely on God to be your everything? to generate the life and the love? Or do you say, I, I think I can do it well enough my own, on my own? So as uh, we sing this last song, if you need to pray with someone, I'll be down here at the front. Um, if you need to come to the altar, uh, it's open. If you need to go and apologize to someone, uh, may be, get right with someone where you say, you know, I know that the Holy Spirit's in me, but I was not walking with him when I made this decision, I was not walking, I was not keeping in step with him when I gave that outburst and then go and ask for forgiveness and seek reconciliation. So whatever the Spirit of the Lord is pressing on your heart, I pray that you do it.